Welcome to this Pure Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.purevoice.com forward slash ccg. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi. Welcome to this Pure Voice Talks on non-small cell lung cancer. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Egbert Smith. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Egbert Smith from the Department of Pulmonary Diseases in Leiden University Medical Center, Leiden, the Netherlands. Welcome to this talk on novel antigenic therapies for antibody drug conjugates in non-small cell lung cancer. In this activity, we will talk about the current state of ADC therapies in non-small cell lung cancer. Despite the vast, vast expansion of new therapies in non-small cell lung cancer, there is a limited number of strategies that leads to cure that are currently available to patients in the frontline setting. So let's imagine a case, a, a patient, very common scenario, a 70-year 70-year-old man with adenocarcinoma who has complaints on persistent cough and exertional dyspnea. And the chest x-ray detects a mass in the upper lobe and there is a pleural effusion at the same side. A puncture was made of the pleural effusion and an adenocarcinoma was diagnosed. Because the patient has a pleural effusion, it's stage 4 disease and the treatment will be medical essentially. So what do we have for medical treatments? And during the course of the last 15 years, we have, we have identified a number of genomic alterations that actually are predictive biomarkers. So these are biomarkers that will tell you what kind of treatment the patient needs to have. Next to that, in the last five or last 10 years, we saw the advent of immunotherapies. And immunotherapies, we have a somewhat different biomarker. It's more like a continuous biomarker in the sense that if you have low expression of that biomarker, you have little effect. And if you have high expression of the biomarker, you have an enormous effect of immunotherapies. So what is the uh, overall treatment paradigm for patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer? First of all, we need to have a pathological subtype. And in this patient, it turned out to be an adenocarcinoma. In patients with adenocarcinoma of the lung, national and international guidelines state that you have to do extensive genomic profiling in order to identify all those molecular predictive markers that may or may not be present in the tumor. And on the left-hand side of this slide, you can see the markers that we are looking for. At the same time, we need to look for pd one expression in the tumor. And if uh, the uh, pd one expression is high, patients can be managed with immunotherapy alone or when they have a large tumor burden with immunotherapy and combinations with chemotherapy. And chemoimmunotherapy is also the uh, standard of care for patients with pd one expression 1 to 49%. For those patients with absence of pd one expression, we also have pd one or pd one inhibitors and chemotherapy or a combination of uh, pd one and anti-CTLA-4 available. So what options do we have for our patient? Um, like I said, we had an uh, adenocarcinoma of the lung. The patient did not have an 
actionable driver mutations in the genomic profiling and the pd one expression was 35%. The option that we have for this patient is treatment with first-line chemotherapy in combination with a uh, anti-PD-1 or anti-PD-L1. In terms of what we can expect from this therapy, uh, that's much less clear in a sense that usually patients do have some sort of a response and then the majority of the patients will get progression of their disease. There will be a very small portion, let's say approximately 20% of the patients, that actually are going to be cured with a combination of chemotherapy and pdl one inhibition. Uh, but that number of patients, that 20%, is much less so in patients that have pdl one expression of 35% as compared to the high expressors over 50 or even over 90% of pdl one So inevitably, there will be a time that this patient will have progression of disease. Usually, these patients are still fit enough to receive further treatment, although usually they are not so fit as at the beginning of their uh, treatment course. And the only registered drug that we have that is available for treatment in second line is docetaxel, which is a drug that has lot of side effects in terms of bone marrow depression and all problems that are associated with bone marrow depression in patients that are not very fit. So in come antibody drug conjugates. Antibody drug conjugates consist of an antibody and a cytotoxic warhead. The antibody provides selectivity towards a certain antigen. And if these antigens are only present in the tumor, you will get selectivity for the tumor. The drugs that are attached to these antibodies have usually high potency, which can be brought about because these are attached to the antibody and will be released only inside the tumor cells. So here, the chemotherapy acts at the place where it should act, which is in the tumor. The action in the tumor only can be brought forward by the conjugation strategy. And I think that is something in the latest years that has become very relevant. We have better conjugation strategies, so we can better add or attach the uh, cytotoxic uh, moiety to uh, the uh, antibody. So how do these biological missiles actually work? Upon binding of the antibody to the antigen, this whole complex will be internalized into the cell, and the cytotoxic moiety will be released from the antibody inside the cell. So it will, it's, this is actually targeted chemotherapy. You only bring chemotherapy to those cells that express the antigen. And if the antigen is selective for cancer cells, you will only bring chemotherapy to the cancer cells. Once the uh, cancer cell undergoes apoptosis as a result of binding of the cytotoxic moiety into the, um, to the nucleus of the cell. The drug is again released inside the tumor microenvironment and you may have also um, bystander effects in that cancer cells that do not express the antigen are nevertheless killed by the same molecule. What we want to achieve with these uh, antibody drug conjugates is to deliver the chemotherapy to the tumor and thereby 
leaving the patient off toxicity, maximizing the antitumor effects and minimizing toxicity. And there we sort of match the technology with the right target and the right patient. So here you can see the uh, typical uh, warheads that are attached to these uh, antibody. They fall apart in, nowadays in two classes. One is the, are the uh, chemtotectins or the topoisomerase 1 inhibitors, and the other um, part are the um, microtubular inhibitors. So the first ADCs were actually um, developed in uh, leukemia, but now we have these agents available for a variety of solid tumors, and you may well be aware that there are, have been recently approvals by the FDA for breast cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, and bladder cancer. Talking about of non-small cell lung cancer, there are a couple of these ADCs that are currently in uh, clinical development. Some are directed against HER2, so we uh, tend to follow uh, the, our breast cancer colleagues. Well, we actually have two ADCs that are very well advanced in uh, HER2 mutated and overexpressing um, non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, there's an antibody drug conjugate that works in HER3 overexpressing patients, in TROP2 overexpressing uh, tumors, CCAM and CMET are targets. And I think in the, recent, in the near future, this, this list of uh, proteins where we have ADCs or where we have uh, drugs available will expand to a certain extent. From this part of my talk, the takeaway I think is that in the last two, two decades, we have actually seen great advances in the therapeutic outcomes for advanced non-small cell lung cancer, which is brought about by the introduction of targeted agents, the introduction of immunotherapies, and we actually can identify those patients that will benefit most from these treatments. However, the majority of patients is still not cured and we do need better drugs, other drugs, other targets where we have drugs against. And we do need novel strategies, uh, preferably with a uh, wide therapeutic index, so high activity and less toxicity. And ADCs might represent such an opportunity. Thank you for your attention and I would like to invite you to join me to the second part of this presentation, where we explore the progress of ADCs in clinical development and what it could potentially mean to our patient. Well, let's first go back to our patient. He was treated in first line with chemotherapy and uh, checkpoint inhibition, and he had a response that lasted for eight months when he got local tumor uh, progression and uh, local radiation was uh, applied and the patient continued to have benefit from his uh, checkpoint inhibition. Approximately one year later, he got multifocal uh, relapse. And as I pointed out to you in the previous presentation, the only therapy available is docetaxel. And the question is, are there alternatives? Well, there are actually very antibody drugs conjugates that are now being studied in non-small cell lung cancer. And the targets uh, for these uh, ADCs are HER2, HER3, TOP2, CCAM5 and CMET. The most advanced are the ADCs directed against HER2, where we have two uh, ADCs available, of, of which one is now approved in the, uh, in the United States, and the other ones are still in uh, un 
in phase one and phase two trials. So how are these ADCs different from targeting, uh, targeting mutated proteins? Targeting mutated proteins has been very important for the treatment of uh, non-small cell lung cancer with activating oncogenic mutations, where we have tyrosine kinase inhibitors that specifically target these mutated proteins. So the ADCs, they use the uh, external of the extracellular part of the protein as a sort of Trojan horse to bring the chemotherapy inside. Where you have a mutated protein, you also have profit in terms of anti-tumor effects if you block the protein. So you have, in theory, you have two sorts of effects. One, you diminish signaling through a mutated protein by binding of the antibody to the extracellular part, and you have cytotoxicity by delivering a cytotoxic agent inside the cell. So it's a two-edged sword. In non-mutated proteins, you only make use of the Trojan horse effect. So you only bring, deliver the chemotherapy inside the cell by binding of the antibody to the uh, target protein. And since this target protein does not have any signaling properties that uh, gives rise to sustained uh, uh, tumor proliferation or cellular proliferation, this will have no effect on tumor cell growth at all, the binding itself of the protein. So there are a couple of uh, uh, target antigens. There are tumor cells that overexpress a, a certain uh, protein. For instance, some tumors overexpress HER2 or HER3. Uh, and there are, uh, as I said, these uh, driver uh, oncogenes that express a certain protein where you can make use of disrupting signaling and delivering the chemotherapy as well. But of course, there are a number of other targets uh, that we can think of that are present on either T cells or um, in the uh, tumor microenvironment, which are candidates, proteins for antibody drug conjugates. So what becomes important is measuring the biomarker. How do I identify the patient that will, that will profit from treatment with a antibody drug conjugate? And here is the example of HER2, which I think is very instructive in terms of how little we actually know about this problem. So in patients with a HER2 mutation, in non-small cell lung cancer, they can have either high expression of the protein, some expression of the protein, or no expression at all. Yet, these ADCs have a tremendous effect in those patients that have a HER2-mutated non-small cell lung cancer. Next, in HER2-overexpressing non-small cell lung cancer, the level of overexpression can be very different between one tumor to another and between one tumor type and another. For instance, the level of overexpression in breast cancer is much higher than in non-small cell lung cancer. There is actually no connection between the level of expression and the activity of the drug. So it's somewhat a mystery for us, right? Should we use immunohistochemistry as a readout of the amount of protein that's present at the tumor cell? Hence the amount of chemotherapy, actually, that you can deliver inside the tumor cell? Or do we need to measure mutations in the, um, in the gene? Or do we need to measure 
RNA expression as a uh, surrogate for protein expression. So on this slide, you can see that um, it's not all about the level of expression. In the left upper part of the slide, you can see the uh, example of poseotinib. Poseotinib is a small molecule, tyrosine kinase inhibitor, directed against HER2, that has high toxicity and a low response rate, whereas uh, TDXD, which is a ADC directed against HER2, has a high response rate and much less toxicity. Is the level of protein expression then predictive for the activity of the drug? Well, to some extent it is. Um, you can see on the left upper part of the slide, IHC 2 plus or 3 plus, which is HER2 overexpressing non-small cell lung cancer, where you have a 25% response rate, but a higher level of toxicity. And you can see um, IHA 3 plus, which is breast cancer, overexpressing HER2, her, her that has a 60% of patients having an objective response and somewhat lower toxicity. In HER2 mutant non-small cell lung cancer, we have shown that even in patients with no detectable HER2 expression by immunohistochemistry, they can have major responses to antibody drug conjugate uh, TDXD. Uh, as you may appreciate from this slide, where the waterfall plot does not match with the uh, immunohistochemistry results below. We also do not know which level of expression is necessary for a response. That can actually mean two things. One, we deliver way too much drug, so it doesn't matter how much um, protein you have, everything is saturated anyway. Or our methods to, uh, to investigate this uh, expression of uh, the antigen is insufficient. That can also be uh, seen from this slide, where there was no relationship between expression and disease state or prognosis in non-small cell lung cancer with HER2 exon uh, 20 insertion mutations or other uh, each of our uh, exon 19 and 20 mutations. So I think that uh, in the very near future we can expect to see these ADCs in earlier lines of therapy, either as a single agent, for, uh, for instance for HER2 mutated non-small cell lung cancer where there's already a phase 3 study nowadays running uh, to compare TDXD to combination chemotherapy. And these um, ADCs will, I think, replace other cytotoxic agents in combination therapies in first line. Actually, I, I hope that a, a patient like this might uh, profit in the future from treatment with ADCs at the beginning of the treatment rather than at the end of the treatment, where nonetheless these agents do have significant activity. So my takeaway message from uh, this part is that ADCs, they represent a novel class of agents. Uh, they have a wide therapeutic index, so they can be delivered to patients in, even, uh, in all kinds of uh, situations, first line, second and third, third line, whether or not they are in good conditions. And ADCs are nowadays studies in uh, first line treatment as a single agent or in combination with chemo IO. And I think, therefore, 
these agents will represent a novel class of targeted agents that add to the armamentarium physicians have to treat patients with non-small cell lung cancer. Thank you. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.